dangerously close. My guest today is Michelle Lee. Michelle is the founder of Clever Carbon. She launched her career in Silicon Valley, where she worked for some of the biggest names in tech, including Salesforce and DocuSign, a proponent for making sustainability the new norm. Michelle founded Clever Carbon to help teach people about carbon footprint in a hip, fun, and relatable way. She is a TEDx and South by Southwest 2022 speaker on the topic of carbon literacy and believes that a carbon literate society is one where transparency and accountability will flourish and one worth striving for. What's up, Michelle? How's it going, Doug? So, 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 so good. And so happy to have you here. Um, Man, so we had uh, talked a couple of days ago and I feel like there's so many things I want to ask you about, but just, I guess, just right off the jump, just talking about you and the transition you made recently or, you know, semi-recently, and that mm -hmm. was working in Silicon Valley uh, in the corporate world, taking, you know, a lot of flights to a lot of cool places, president's clubs, all that stuff, and then making that transition to uh, Clever Carbon, which, you know, which you created. And, and I'm sure it's like very different. And I'm just kind of was just curious, like, uh, what's that? Ex what was that experience life? Like, what was your, what was your life kind of like before? And how did it change? Yeah, I mean, life before Clever Carbon and climate work was really, really different. Um, I lived most of my life um, in the corporate world in San Francisco and in London. And I was on the sales side of um, technology. And, you know, as you kind of move through the ranks, you get exposed to larger companies. And as a result, you need to really build those in-person relationships with customers. So a lot of my job involved um, going to see customers and meeting them and building relationships and understanding what their challenges are and, and being a trusted advisor to them. And it was so much fun because, you know, you get to meet different types of customers. Uh, you know, we I had a client that we worked with that, you know, made satellites. And then I also had a client that I worked with that, you know, managed lounges at the airport. So you get this like really large range of, of different business problems and you have these tools to help them solve them. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of travel. Um, I moved to London as well with um, one of my companies and lots of intra-Europe travel there, which was a ton of fun. And we actually use the train a lot, which is great in Europe. Uh, one of my realizations is like, wow, you don't always have to fly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, president's clubs were really fun too. Um, those uh, were... As as someone who has never been to a president's club, can you give it a, a kind of a little rundown? Because yeah, uh, people like me don't get invited to president's clubs. <laughs> <laughs> so president's club is really a way to motivate and recognize salespeople that are top performers. Uh, most software companies have some form of a president's club. And um, the one that I was um, really just, you know, was awesome to be a part of. Uh, we, you know, for example, had a three night 
all paid expenses trip to, you know, four seasons. And it was in Maui. You get to bring a plus one. Uh, your days are mostly sort of planned out with fun things, with some uh, downtime baked in and, you know, everything's to the nines and to the tens. Um, you know, you walk in and you pick what pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses you want and, you know, you you get gifts throughout the session. And I had, you know, I'm a small town girl from Toronto, Doug. Like, yeah. <laughs> listen, like Toronto's not that small of a town, but like I had never been exposed to to this type of um, just corporate culture before. It was very interesting for me. Yeah. It's funny uh, you bring up getting free Ray-Bans, which I mean, that's a, that's a nice amenity, but I mean, I'm sure at that level, the people can afford their own Ray-Bans. But the thing about Ray-Bans, this is the, I, I used to wear them all the time. I love them. I really like the aviator style. Yeah. But they're very expensive and I break or lose sunglasses uh, yeah. almost immediately. So yeah. I have to like, it's spending more than $20 on a pair of sunglasses is uh, out of the question like in my life <laughs> well then you should go to president's club and just that's get what i'm thinking i should go to the ray-bans right <laughs> i need to figure out how to get invited to these president's clubs so i can keep a nice steady supply of ray-bans coming in i have a funny story because <laughs> one of my friends that i took with me to my first president's club in maui um that was like maybe four years ago she just went again this year with another friend who also made it to President's Club at the same resort. It's hilarious. She's gotten to go twice because um, her, yeah, her friends are, are got in. So I guess uh, needless to say, that's kind of a tough lifestyle to give up. Uh, but I, you had described it to me as kind of like a, uh, You'd use the word excess, which I mean, obviously, like there's a lot of there's a lot of jet fuel involved in uh, in that kind of lifestyle that maybe, you know, a little bit unnecessary. Kind of when you were just talking a minute ago about trains, uh, mm -hmm. which is, sadly, we just don't seem to want to build enough trains here in America. Or maybe it's I, I don't know if it's. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I yeah. like I was just talking yesterday about how much I wish there was a train to Seattle from where I live because mm -hmm. I go frequently and I hate to fly. Yeah. And I would love to just have a an overnight, just be able to like sleep on the train, get up, eat on the train. It would be, it would change my life. But <laughs> enough about <laughs> my uh, wish for trains. Uh, I was kind of curious, like, was there a kind of like, like a moment or a period in time where you started to feel like you wanted to move on and do your own thing? And, or, and I guess maybe... I don't want to put it in like a silly way, but like an inspiration where you're like, Oh, I'm inspired to do clever car, clever carbon for whatever reason was, uh, yeah. was that like kind of like a thing in your life, like a time period or a, a moment? Yeah. I mean, I will say that, you know, the, the excess, um, you know, president's club was once a year and there was no guarantee you would make it. So that's like a small snapshot and very uncommon occurrence uh, in my life, I think, you know, for the most part, I was tech worker, just, you know, living in San Francisco. And, you know, I did travel for work, but, you know, had a small studio. And um, for me, it's always been about common sense, like way like years before I started climate work. It just didn't make sense to me um, that we use single use coffee cups. Like, where do these things go? Yeah, that's and, <laughs> right. If like billions of people are using these every day, maybe even 
couple of times a day because you've got your hot coffee in, in the morning. Then you got to go get your, you know, cold drink in the afternoon. And it's like yeah. plastic. And like, how? where does it even go? Like, how do we even have space on this planet to accommodate all this single use stuff that we make? And so, you know, long ago, I had already started using single uh, like reusable coffee cups and reusable um, like grocery bags. And I, you know, for me, it's just common sense. And in 2017, there was like this kind of flurry of um, content that I had consumed. Everything from um, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Um, I listened to this podcast where it was about a guy. It was actually the season three of Serial. Everyone knows season one, right? Adnan Syed, like really incredible just story and and what it did in the media but season three is about this guy named john in alabama and john was really concerned about climate change and this was in 2017 and i like i didn't know anyone who was really concerned and so like all these different things just led up to this fact that like i don't think that i could in good faith continue consuming animal protein knowing the scarcity that we have in our resources right like our planet is 30 percent land, 70% water, um, 70% oceans. Um, our population is growing. The middle class is expanding. How can we have the space to, you know, have animal protein for everyone? Like it just didn't make sense to me. And so I, I went vegan in, in 2017. And I told you, you know, my friends were pretty upset with me. We're foodies and we like to explore restaurants, but um, yeah. they got over it. But I think that was really the the impetus is getting to that stage where I wanted to voluntarily become vegan. It's a, a big change in my lifestyle and, you know, my family culture and everything. And from there, uh, moving to London was also a, a trigger in a way because I really opened my eyes when I was in London. You know, they have decongestion zones. You You get fined for, you know, driving or not fine but you get charged um you know the the public transportation is fantastic in london and you can also take a train from london to paris and within two hours and you know there's so many vegan restaurants and living in london really helped me um just kind of see like the progression of how a city could be more sustainable um and then covid hit and i would walk by the park every Monday. Well, I walked to the park every day and Mondays were particularly bad because Saturday and Sunday, everyone would go to the park. And that means beer bottles, um, single use coffee cups, containers, like, like spilling out of the bin. That's what they call a garbage can in, in London, in the bin. And I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. And that's sort of what led me to learn about the impact of our actions. That's how I learned about carbon footprint and that's how Clever Carbon came along. Yeah, um, and you made me think of like so many things. I think like I told you that I I, I am a tendency to go down tangents, but uh, when you were talking about when you decided to stop eating meat and then you know having a bunch of friends that are foodies, it, it kind of like triggered me this memory that like at the time I was like, uh, so I, I this was several, many, many years ago, uh, like a little over a decade ago, I was working in a fine dining restaurant. I was cooking and I didn't eat meat. And of course, every chef in, eats, you know, like 
not only, not only do they eat meat, they eat like the grossest kind of meat. Like you know, kind of like that. Like they're all they all worship Anthony Bourdain, and they all want to like eat whatever you know, some kind of animal that is just is. <laughs> but I was like, no, no, I didn't want any of their. You know, I was just eating vegetables. But I remember uh, this one guy that worked there. He was like. He's like, you look way too strong to not eat meat because the people conflate these things. And I was like, well, the difference is like while you're sitting there eating like, you know, a slab of flesh, like I actually like stop and take breaks and do sets of push-ups. And I hit the gym when we leave here. Like it's, it's the meat's not going to make you strong, man. The, you know, the gym's going to make you strong. I don't know. I just, <laughs> you just made me think of that memory and and how like frustrating it was because everyone was like very like, really kind of spoke down to me it was yeah. very silly <laughs> i mean that's a that's like interesting you know being a vegetarian chef and like a fine dining restaurant um that's definitely you yeah i can see how that would be a little bit challenging and i i do get that a lot oh like my you know people will be like oh well you know i need my protein my protein oh my god if someone says the word protein to me again i'm just gonna explode because like what what do horses do? Like, oh, I gotta eat my hard boiled egg this morning. Like, there is protein in vegetables, yeah. and there is protein in a plant based diet. You know, like, it's okay if you don't want to be vegan or vegetarian. That's fine. But like, protein's not a reason. There's a, a quote I loved it. It was in this documentary. Um, I don't think it was Forks Over Knives, but it was a similar. It was one that had a lot of like uh, athletes in it um yes what the hell a, no uh it's, oh. it's the, arnold schwarzenegger was one of the uh producers of it because i think he's he's veggie now too yeah but it was the guy who it was the strongest man in the world he was the guy like he won the, the strongest man in the, he was the guy that could like he was but he picked up like at some point during the thing he picked up like two thousand pounds and like walked across a stage with it yeah. and he was uh talking about dealing with his friends and you know the same kind of people kind of picking on you and saying you know are you gonna eat like that? And, and he's like, I think he said that someone said, "You're strong as an ox. Like, how do you, you know, how do you maintain this kind of level of strength and this muscle mass?" And he's like, "Have you ever seen an ox eat meat? Like, <laughs> they don't. They right? graze." That's another good example, <laughs> like elephants. But like, yeah, an ox. I never even thought about that, right? Or all, all the strongest animals, I guess, except for like whales. Whales yeah. are pretty damn strong, and they eat meat, but. Yeah, they do. And sharks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they but... have they have a different stomach, right? And and to be fair, you know, horses and, and cows, they have like different types of stomachs as well. But I think in that documentary, they were either that or what the health, they were talking about how, you know, for carnivores, their intestines are really short and they have a lot of like acid and different types of bacteria in their stomach and they that like they eat meat that's what their stomach is for yeah and for humans our intestines are very long more like um you know omnivore animals or, or whatnot and i think you know this is really my personal perspective doug it's like you know, someone could tell me that, well, they have to eat meat because of X, Y, and Z, you know, they have health issues and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's the thing, like, I think we have to ask ourselves, like, if 7 billion people or 8 billion people were to do the same, is that okay? And, you know, it's, it's really hard to make those decisions. But, you know, collectively, if we were all to do the same thing, would that 
would that be okay? You know, collectively, if we were to all buy an EV, collectively, if we were all to, you know, I don't know, like buy uh, bamboo cotton from now on, like it's still a lot. Like, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, um, actually, that's something that I do want to get into a little bit later on. So I'm not going to dive in too deep right there. And I wanted to say one more thing uh, while you were discussing, because, when you were talking about single use coffee cups, because you caught me drinking an Arizona iced tea at 8 a.m. this morning, and you're like, seriously. Uh, although I promise I will recycle this can when I'm done with it. Um, I, <laughs> I wanted to go back into just, I when you were saying, you know, like the transition phase, you know, going from uh, kind of like the corporate world, you know, kind of jet setting, doing all that stuff. Now you're doing your own thing. But, um, I guess what I was wondering is like, like, what is like, where was the genesis of it? Like, where did you get this? Where did you get the idea? Like, how did was this all like something that you just kind of like sat down and just brainstormed, or did you work with a group, or um, how, how, like how did it come about? So there were, I think there were like two um, things that kicked it off. One was while I was in London, I was volunteering for a local nonprofit that was focused on reducing plastic. And they have, you know, been established in the neighborhood for, you know, a very long time. People knew them. And, you know, when I went to volunteer, I just, you know, I was producing some social media content for them and I wanted to try new things and I wanted to try a different tone of voice because the, the voice was very like, this is bad. Don't do this. Yeah. And I was like that, you know, I don't know. That doesn't resonate. I don't think that resonates with like my friends. Like instead, if we focus on the positive, like when you do this, like X, Y, Z and, and like associate it with a number, then people can understand like, if you stop using single use coffee cups, you're going to save like, you know, 10 pounds of plastic from going to the the pound. Like no one really knows what 10 pounds of plastic are. But once you have the number, if you have a number somewhere else, you can make a comparison. And, you know, I want to use like some fun branding and, and whatnot. And they didn't want to do that. And I felt very like just I couldn't let my own creative juices flow. So there was that kind of happening there. They do fantastic work, but we just like I wanted to try something new. And then with COVID and all the single use um, plastic and, and paper that was being produced, I was like, how can we do this? How can we continue to do this? And so oh, yeah. what so, like, I want to were, do. People were like door dashing like every meal. and Yeah. Yeah. Door dashing. And then on the weekend, like in the summers in London, like no one is indoors. It's such a cultural thing. Like everyone is at the park and so the park becomes this big hub of garbage when people leave and like I mentioned like every Monday I would walk through and all the garbage from the weekend was there and it was just upsetting seeing the amount of single-use waste it, it hurt it's like where is this stuff going it's going in the and, ocean they just they just dump it directly in the ocean <laughs> I mean I <laughs> I really hope not, but I have no proof. And I like, I don't know where my municipality's, um, you know, dump was. Yeah, I, I can't prove what I just said either, but I, <laughs> I'm i going to go ahead and assume with the amount of land they have, they don't have the kind of landfills that required for what they produce with like cities the size of London. 
and yeah. you know, and they're on the sea. I'm I'm guessing it goes right in the ocean. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't think that like I don't deny that some of it will probably end up in the ocean a hundred percent. But what I was on the look for was what is a number we can associate with waste? And like, is there a way that this is commonly measured, commonly communicated? And like, I started like just researching and that's how I learned about carbon footprint. I had been vegan for almost three years at that point. And the word carbon footprint had not penetrated my, like what beyond my subconscious. And when I actually started learning about it, well, there was a couple of things. One, all the websites were really outdated it was very clear that wasn't meant for like a consumer general audience like all the websites just like very unattractive um but it wasn't until i saw carbon label that everything made sense it was like you know as an example you know you have a single use coffee cup well the manufacturing of the cup was x amount of grams of co2 the shipping was x amount of grams the use is x amount of grams and the end of life is x amount of grams and the total carbon footprint is made up of all those different stages and that really clicked for me when i saw my first carbon label i was like oh my god this makes sense because like everything else was like carbon footprints of countries it was like very vague and and i didn't really understand but when i saw carbon label it all made sense to me i was like slightly mad that i had only learned about it when I really proactively seek to go look for something like this. Um, and that's where I got the idea. You know, I wanted to, on the one hand, use really fun branding. And, you know, if urban outfitters were to teach people about carbon footprint, what would that look like? And then B, we need to teach people about carbon footprint because our our brain understands numbers. People know what 3.5 versus 6.1 on the Richter scale is, you know, what 65 Fahrenheit versus, you know, 91 Fahrenheit. We know and we understand numbers. We just, everyone knows single use coffee cups aren't great and flights aren't great, but when there's no number, there's no magnitude and you don't internalize that. So, you know, if I'm able to bring this foundational education, which is honestly really simple because it's just a number, um, then maybe people would make more informed decisions. Yeah, and I, this is so interesting you brought this up because this happened to me the other day. I was a, uh, I went, I was at a Planet Fitness. I don't know if you've ever been one of those, uh, but they I've like, seen yeah, um, they get kind of like, uh, people give them a hard time because it's like you know, it's like the fast food gym, I guess, but uh, like you know, the fast food of gyms. But <laughs> I was, uh, I was washing my hands. And then they don't have, like, I turn around, they have, like, the, the air dryer machine. And right there on it, it like, instead, you know, because it used to be, like, you had a choice. You could do, like, paper towels or that. And they got rid of all the paper towel options. And right there on it, it explains why. And it says, uh, this place used to use, like, some insane number of tons of paper. And they're like, that's 17,000 trees per, you know, couple of weeks. That's mm -hmm. why this is your only option. And I was like, you know how easy, you know, thank you for just explaining to people why they have to use the air dryer. I know it's loud and annoying, but then you're, yeah. then you're drying your hands and you feel good about yourself. You're like, <laughs> I'm uh, not destroying 17,000 trees right now. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it, it really does help to add just like that little element of like, here's why we're doing it.
here's why and here's a number i think yeah. the number aspect is really important like qualitative information is great but quantitative information in addition to qualitative really brings it home yeah and i wonder too if um if you kind of with clever carbon because i know you're trying to make it uh like you know hip and accessible but i think also you want to reach you know a, a young audience and you know kids because that's I mean, that's who it's really important to be reaching, of course. Um, and there's some things I've kind of learned more recently about kids, uh, just like things where um, you're not tricking them, but, you know, giving them kind of like options where it's like, I guess what we're talking about is like, you know, the old school version of, you know, recycle, don't pollute, all this stuff. and it's just a lot of negative talk. It's like, don't, don't, don't. And that's it. And there's no, you know, and it, this would be a, the, an alternative would be like, for instance, if you cook dinner for your kid, that's what you cooked. You don't have something else. And if they're like, oh, I don't, you don't ask them if they want the dinner you made, but you mm -hmm. give them options. Like, do you want this on the blue plate? Do you want this on like mm -hmm. the, you know, the Paw Patrol plate? You can, have, you know, give them all these kinds of these alternative options to make it seem fun the you know the food is non-negotiable <laughs> and i don't know if any of that kind of stuff has been if if you see that as like um a useful tool um i didn't mean to put you on the spot with like a just a random thought in my head <laughs> like when it comes to teaching kids yeah yeah i mean that's i never really thought about that like you know, you're giving them options, but it's the plate. It's not the food. That's that's really interesting. Um, I think with kids just early on, they learn so much from us. And they actually are really good at being like, wait, this doesn't really make sense. But like, there's so many things that you can do with kids at an early age. Um, even things like measuring your waste, like in a day how much how much garbage does do, did we produce like just make something like make a game out of it, make it fun yeah. like yeah. weigh your waste and like help kids like understand these concepts but then this also requires parents that kind of like believe in this and want to go the extra mile to teach the kids so you know i think we have to look up the chain to to schools and to governments and and all that but like yeah i think teaching kids at a young age is really important and you know hopefully they'll have a, a safe and, and thriving planet to practice these good habits with. Yeah. And I love your idea for uh, gamifying it. I find mm -hmm. like, I find whenever you can, you can gamify anything, you have increased your chances of success just exponentially. Um, but also like speaking of games and speaking of, you know, childhood, because my absolute 100%, my favorite sport to watch as a kid was basketball uh and i was just gonna uh bring up that um you have a partnership with the nba and uh this is kind of what i was wondering I, i'm sure like maybe this ties into your former career like just kind of you know working in the corporate structure and and knowing the language in you know and just being used to dealing with, with these kind of people but when you were working with people that control corporate interests at that level like the level of like the NBA, you know, it's, you know, it's about as high as it gets. And I know you have other partnerships as well. Um, how do you get them to engage with your ideas? Well, with the NBA, it started with a corporate workshop 
for Earth Day, I came in and, you know, I do an hour long corporate workshop that is meant to help employees learn about carbon footprint in a hip and fun way. And they already had a sense of what Clever Carbon was about, how we use fun and play and hip branding to bring a very um, boring subject for the most part for people (laughs) who are not like into it to life. And the MBA has done a lot of work in the social impact space. So they have an arm of the, the corporation called MBA Cares, And MBA Cares is specifically focused on social impact, on community projects. And so they've already had this longstanding um, history of giving back. And, um, you know, I had had conversations with people about working with the MBA and they're like, these people are like, oh yeah, you know, they're, they're, they do a lot of work with the UN and they're, you know, they're, they're one of the gold standards in terms of like corporations and how they give back. And so, you know, the MBA already had this really strong foundation of environmental and and social impact. And so, you know, when I came in and did the workshop, that's how I met them. And, you know, they were working on measuring their own impact. And, And once, you know, that was done, they were ready to do a little bit more and they really saw an opportunity to use the the platform of the MBA to bring this information to their fans and you know to their organization and maybe even to players as well and with clever carbon one of our main tools is this carbon footprint quiz that has five questions you know what country do you live in how do you commute what's your diet how many hours do you fly what's your home energy is it you know renewable some part of it is renewable and it's a really quick quiz that helps people find out their carbon footprint and people can literally do this within a minute on their phone during halftime or or during you know some sort of break and so they saw an opportunity with this quiz and they you know the first kind of iteration they they put it on um the jumbotron during the all-star game this year in february and then um now the nba has their own version of the quiz it's branded with their uh, colors and their logos and at the end of the quiz you actually get a badge that has your name and your carbon footprint on it and that badge um, can be downloaded it can be shared on social media and people do do that and so that yeah the NBA has their own version and they um, put that on the uh, on one of the playoff games Um, I think it was the Lakers versus the Grizzlies and, you know, we we did a lot of prep for it. Um, you know, the, there's like a broadcaster that essentially like, you know, in the stadium, like tells people like, go take your carbon footprint quiz to learn about your impact on the planet. And we came up with that language together. And um, I was on standby for the game just to make sure everything was going OK. And um, that was the first time we had worked with such a large organization like an organization that had such a big reach and yeah. um yeah it drove so much traffic when they put it up that our our website broke <laughs> our our host was like you're being attacked and they just like shut our site down and i was like oh, oh no. my god oh, oh they, my th- god. they thought they were doing that uh that thing that hackers do i forgot what it's called like it's it's where they uh but yeah I know what you're saying where like yeah. they drive so much traffic at you that it's but it's all it's false traffic 
Yeah. But that's fantastic. That's amazing that it was actually all driven uh, through the NBA All-Star game. Uh, yeah. Was so yeah. they televised it or did they, was it just like, it was on the Jumbotron and... Um, I think at some point it was actually on the TV as well. There was like a QR code. Oh, so you cool. could go and scan and like do the quiz. So not only was it people in the stadium, you know, people at home could do it as well. And um, yeah, it was uh, like, you know, as a sales engineer and as someone who has worked in tech and, and when your software goes down, like it's all hands on deck. Like you have to get that thing back up. You have to make sure you give your clients a, you know, a, a full sort of like report after of like what happened and what you're going to do moving forward to prevent that from happening. But like when it went down, it was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this is happening. You know, this is such an incredible opportunity. And, and like, you know, I, what I, what I will say is that the NBA, like the, the team that I was working with was, is so kind is you know so supportive and you know i you know i did my best to to you know provide follow up and regular updates and we got it back up the next day the thing is it happened over a weekend and you know my developer he was like on vacation and um it, it was just really hard to like get a hold of him and like it like he was really responsive like it was all these things coming together, but we we fixed it on the Sunday. But yeah, they they were just really kind, and they they said to me they're like, mm, it's a good problem to have, and that yeah. was it. Yeah, that's that's such an awesome story. I, I love 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 that story, and because I, I think you know I I think a lot of people when they think about the NBA and if they think about uh, like obviously LeBron James, you know, you think about like uh, him and like community outreach, and he's you know kind of a philanthropist. But it's very cool to hear that, like, uh, the people that I, you know, not, I'm not trying to disparage, you know, by saying, like, the suits, but you know what I mean? The people that are, uh, that are, not, that are not on the court, that are not, you know, the the star, the, you know, the stars on TV, that they are, like, you know, open to your ideas. They're, like, they're interested. It sounds like, you know, they're open-minded. I mean, did you, did you feel like you kind of, like, there wasn't much pushback when you were saying like, this is what I want to do. I mean, I think we co-created it together. Um, and, you know, I, a lot of the times it's like, I come up with a couple ideas. I, I bounce them with the team and they understand how their organization works so they can give feedback on like, what's going to work and what's not going to work. But I think you're a hundred percent right. You know, this is the NBA and they gave, this incredible opportunity to clever carbon um to bring carbon literacy to the masses like this is like at the surface it's you know these fans taking uh, a quiz but you know deeper and deeper levels this is really engaging people and giving them their first step into carbon literacy and helping them understand and and you know, carbon literacy happens over time. It's not like you snap your fingers and you're like, oh, yeah. You know, it, you you kind of start seeing things through a different lens and it progresses. So, like, you know, I started this three years ago, you know, Clever Carbon, and obviously, like, have learned a lot. But how I see carbon literacy then and how I see it now is, is also different. So, you know, helping these thousands of fans get started is really in incredible all right guys you heard it here first the nba 
are friends of the planet. <laughs> um, did you, when you were working with him in the, with this whole that whole thing with the uh, this is this is all after you did South by Southwest because this would oh this would have been this year I forgot you just said that was uh, All Star Game so you did yes. South by Southwest last year and this year oh and this year I didn't know that okay cool oh yeah because uh, yeah, you're kind of uh, you're you're in it because you're you're doing you're doing the COP twenty seven COP twenty eight South by Southwest uh. How was your first South by Southwest? Did you did you have a good time? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, you know, maybe another little side story. Um, I used to work at Jawbone. So I don't know if you know Jawbone, Doug. You know, I'm they make familiar. The Bluetooth, no. they make the uh, Bluetooth headsets and they make these Bluetooth speakers, and it's like a super it was a super cool company. They had like a health band and um you know, I think celebrities were investors and I would like, I've seen famous artists in our, in our office because we partner, you know, we used to partner with a lot of um, different artists and they were very closely with Apple and they were this like super cool and hip brand. Like the design of the product was absolutely beautiful. Like um, I could go on and on, but um, yeah, I, I guess with, um, you know, when I was working at Jawbone, I actually lost my train of thought. What was your original question? Uh, South by Southwest yes. 2022. 2020. Okay. <laughs> so when I was working at Jawbone, you know, because we were like such a hip and cool brand, they would always go to these like really awesome conferences. Um, you know, there's like a tech conference in Vegas, like a gadget conference, and, and they would always go to South by Southwest. And I never got to go. Ah. Uh, my friends, <laughs> you know, they they were, you know, whatever their role was, they, you know, the product managers and whatnot, they got to go. And like, it was a week of like fun and parties and showcasing our products. But I worked as a customer care program manager. So I was like, you know, creating content for like how-to guides and customer care. And so like, there was no reason for me to be there. So I was like always so envious of my colleagues that were going and having so much fun. So for me, South by Southwest, like I I already knew how cool it was yeah. because of all of the meetings that would happen before and the big budget that we would have. And, you know, when I applied to speak at South by Southwest, I was like, haha, this is the biggest pie in the sky <laughs> thing that I would ever do. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, this tiny like startup that literally is just me and and, and just started. But I was like, eh, who knows? Let's let's go and, and see. So, you know, for me, being at South by Southwest was like just this incredible like awe moment. I think I appreciate every moment of it because I I realized what an opportunity it was. And the first year I went, like 2022, it was just after COVID. So I don't know what South by Southwest, uh, South by Southwest was like pre-COVID, but like post-COVID, it was still like very booming, lots going on. You know, you as a speaker, you get a platinum badge. So I got to go see some comedy. Um, my, one of my favorite brands, Night Moves, was also performing and, and uh, you know, seeing other the talks and going to like the side events. It was... It was so cool. And also that's where I met um, Goals House, which is a really interesting organization. Um, Goals House does a lot of side events at various 
large gatherings. So, for example, at the World Economic Forum, you know, Davos or at the UN General Assembly, and they have amazing content and they have in, like an incredible group of people that come through the house and I met them at South by Southwest. They invited me to participate. And from there, like that was one of my really actually in, incredible takeaways. Is, and now I'm still partners with Goals House in many ways. And and yeah, I mean, I can't even begin to describe that experience of being at South by Southwest and speaking there. Now I'm getting jealous. Actually, but, you know, uh, I, yeah, I am a little bit jealous of your South by Southwest, yeah, being a presenter and all that stuff. It sounds so, so fun. But actually, what I am really super jealous of is the fact that you were invited to COP27. Uh, for people that don't know, like, that is an extremely difficult uh, summit to be invited to. Um, I guess, like, you know what, really quick, this is something I need to get better about. Can you very quickly just uh, explain explain to everyone what COP27 is? Yeah. And, you know, just quick kind of like clarification. I wasn't invited to COP27. I went to COP27 and I was able to participate in the Blue Zone um, because I was given a pass um, by a friend. Um, but let me kind of explain to to the audience and what COP27 or what COP is to me. So COP is Conference of the Parties, and it's been happening for years. So COP27 was the 27th Conference of Parties. And you hear about, you know, the Paris Agreement. Um, so COP27 was in Egypt, and the Paris Agreement was a COP that was held in Paris. I should probably know which COP number that was. I forget. But like every year, um, you know, COP is in a different place. And essentially throughout the year, there are negotiations between the countries that are, you know, specifically geared towards, you know, climate and climate legislation. And at the Conference of the Parties, that's where they all come together to talk about any details that remain and decide what the agreement is going to look like. And sometimes they're able to all get on the same page and sign an agreement. But there have been years where there was no agreement because everyone couldn't agree or, or maybe the agreement wasn't as strong because um, some of the things that maybe some of the countries wanted to get in weren't able to get into the agreement. So um, COP is really like, you know, these negotiations happen year long, but they culminate at this conference where everyone comes together and they're in a negotiation room and it's like very um tense and people don't don't sleep and yeah, yeah. there's a lot going on very, very serious people i uh <laughs> i listened to so there's a i don't know if you uh ever uh, read any books by kim stanley robinson but he wrote uh the ministry for the future which, oh yes which, i've been uh, meaning to read it i need to read oh, it, Should I read oh, it? I abs absolutely it, okay. to me it was the most impactful book of 2022 that i read wow i read that book i put it down and i was like oh my god but uh these it, it's very prophetic sadly and there's so much stuff that he put in that book like the heat waves in india all that stuff he was kind of predicting that in that book and it's you know it's scary stuff but also mm -hmm. like it's a lot i mean to me it was actually in many ways a very hopeful book mm-hmm you know, because he's he's a he's a utopian. Uh, I I only bring him up because 
he uh got invited to cop uh 27 as well i believe mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but in the same thing he was like he was, he was in a capacity of just because he has the, the celebrity of having written that book yeah that they wanted him there because they're like oh well this you know because that book changed so many people's views i think obama put it on his list of like must read books uh when mm-hmm. it came out uh but from his point so i i always think of him as like such an in like a, an influential person regarding climate change and how serious he is about it and what a fantastic author he is so mm-hmm. i just think of him as like oh he's gonna go there and tell them you know what to do because he's kim stanley robinson he's you know he's one of my absolute favorite sci-fi science fiction authors i've read a lot more than just that book by him but i listened to an interview with him and he was saying uh he got there and it was very like kind of shocking like how how very not seriously anyone took him because he's not a scientist you know he's a novelist and so he was kind of very much an observer and i was like oh okay these cop events are these are people are not joking around these are these are the real negotiations this is this is what like really happens and a lot of happens behind closed doors like you were saying you had to get um a blue pass which is accessible only through the united nations and that's actually what i wanted to ask you about like you got the blue pass you got to go inside where no one gets to go practically Mm -hmm. um can you just kind of like describe maybe what that experience was like a little bit and if there were any like highlights or any kind of ideas or negotiations that you thought um really stood out to you yeah so um you know, with COP, there is this blue zone where only um, organizations with observer status are able to access. And essentially, you know, this was my first COP. Um, I think most are similar, but it's like this really large convention hall. And countries, they they all are, you know, they they're they have I don't know if observer pass is the right word, but they all have like passes and they all have access and they um, have these booths. Every like every most UN countries like have a booth within this large conference hall. And there's um, usually a space where like someone can sit down and have a meeting. And a lot of times these like booths also have um, space for a kind of like a a talk right there's a little stage there's some chairs there's like cameras and throughout the entire two weeks of cop there's you know continuous programming so they invite people to speak and um, you can go to that country's booth and kind of see what their schedule is Um, and then there's also other observer organizations that can you know set up their booth there uh earthday.org for example was one that stood out to me when i went and they, every day they would have like different talks um and it's really like a, a a convention in many ways where the negotiations happen you actually have to have an extra special status to yeah. have <laughs> any access to that which i did not have and for me i i had um blue zone access during the second week So, you know, during the first week, I was mostly participating in the external events like, you know, Bloomberg had a a sided event there. Goals House had a sided event there. You know, The Economist and New York Times and all these other uh, organizations have side events. So there's also the Green Zone, 
which is where people who don't have blue zone access can also go and see talks and, and different things. So like there's a lot of programming going on um, at COP and, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a blue zone pass to get a lot out of it. Oh, yeah. It is just like you said, though, it sounds like uh, if you show up and you don't have the the blue blue zone access, it, it's like a convention, which also, I mean, you can learn a lot. You can uh, see innovative ideas, meet interesting people. But it does sound like, you know, when you got the, the blue zone access, you're in there where the most powerful world leaders are potentially, you know, signing agreements, you know, <laughs> signing treaties making potential uh like change that will affect us all so that's very very cool uh i don't know were you like were you like a little bit uh tense when you like stepped over the threshold into the into the blue zone or is that kind of silly (laughs) i mean i was definitely really excited and like even just like going to get your badge is a whole ordeal like the lines are are quite long and you know like am i gonna get my badge like do they have my information um but you know, once you step in, it's like the UN has this really interesting, they, I don't think it's like intentional branding, but it's like, you've got this stage and you've got these mics and like, you've got this UN banner at the back and like seeing that in real life and seeing press uh, conferences happening. And um, I got to participate in a press conference because of my friends at uh, Peace Boat and Blue Planet Alliance. They invited me to participate in a in a press conference, and it was, uh, you know, videotaped, and it's actually live on the UN website, uh, you know, still. And I got to speak about women in climate, which is another project that I oversee. It's a nonprofit that's aimed to create a joyful and safe space. And I think actually, you know, women in climate was really. Um, like impactful in a way, or or I can see women in climate really having an impact because there were a lot of men speaking at at various like talks that I went to. And, you know, but when I looked around, I saw a lot of women. So like, why weren't they on stage? Why weren't they speaking? And so with women in climate, one of the really cool projects that came out of COP27 was our speaker database. And basically, I sent this out to my network of women climate professionals, and anyone can create a free profile, and you can indicate your level of experience, your areas of expertise, are you available to speak in person or remote, and your bios, and all your links to social media. And the idea is to have this resource for event organizers to recruit speakers from if you need more diversity on your panels, which is really important, diversity in thought, like like let's not have an echo chamber on a panel. Um, I think it's really powerful. And the speaker database has really, really grown. Um, and it's like this grassroots movement of women who want to uplift each other who are in the database and sharing that they're in the database and sharing that there are other women. And for COP28, I really, really hope to utilize this resource and get more women on the stage and so i'm really excited about this project and about you know the impact that we can make at cop 28 
and you know that's important on so many levels and i have a personal belief so i'm going to go ahead and you know i'm not i'm not just claiming facts but i personally believe that if we the more world leaders that we have that are women and as time goes by as more and more women are uh in leadership roles president roles and so on and so forth of more countries i think that it would really expedite the <laughs> the work that really needs to be done for uh it, you know carbon carbon reduction climate change in general all these things need to be done i just kind of feel like this is something that would would be uh you know a lot of times having too many men in the room you're i think it's uh trying to find a way to put this um <laughs> detrimental to getting things done <laughs> I Interesting know, choice of word, Doug. I think some people might agree with me and some people might not. But you know what? This is, you know, I can say whatever I want. It's my podcast. <laughs> it's your, <laughs> your views are your own. I know. Uh, anyway, moving moving on past the fact that I think that we need, yeah, a lot more women le leaders at the COP events in, in, you know, positions of power, the actual positions of change and coming to actual agreements instead of, a bunch of dudes sitting around being like, well, I don't want to lose a uh, 2% uh, profit on my fucking oil farm. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, if you don't mind, I, I want to talk to about like uh, about cop 28, which you will be attending as well uh, this year. And that's in Dubai, I believe. Um, it is, yes. Very exciting. I'm also once again, so jealous of you. Uh, obviously that would be uh enormously like world changing if the the uh the uae is serious about a course correction you know regarding carbon emissions um they've got a really great pr team i know that they've kind of put themselves out there as like we're the first um uh, i think maybe they're trying to say they're, they're the first in the region to take it seriously so i don't know something like that but um mm -hmm. and i'm not criticizing the uae that's not what i'm here to do i'm just saying if they're serious that they want to make massive changes they are the people that really can make a massive dent in in what's happening. Uh, do you have any expectations for uh, COP twenty eight? Yeah, and um, of course, you had already brought up uh, women and uh, sorry, women and climate. But uh, mm -hmm. but you know, for you personally, or even for the event as a whole, like anything that you kind of like that you see might be coming out of this uh, this next COP twenty eight. This is going to be a very key cop for so many reasons. Um, we are getting closer to irreversible change. So, you know, the clock is ticking. Um, I also think that the region is going to play a really important role in our future. And personally, I, I'm actually, I think it's great that cop is happening mm in Dubai, in the UAE, because they have the resources, um, they have the thought leadership um, that can create change. And having, you know, world leaders and people who are passionate about climate change convene there, I think things that we can't even imagine or, or even think of will happen and I can see this being a very positive outcome. And so I'm bringing this intention and this energy of um, this being a really critical 
COP and one where we can get a lot done and one where we can bring more partners along with us in, you know, this fight against climate change. So, yeah, we've got a lot of work done ahead of COP28, but I'm I'm really excited for it. Yeah, and absolutely. And uh, like I was saying earlier, uh, and I, I don't want to just single out uh, the United Arab Emirates. I, I, I think that it's important. I mean, all petro states need to get on board, and that includes the United States and, I mean, you know, a number of other countries. Uh, so yeah, very exciting, very, uh, cool, kind of like almost, you know, almost bizarre being like, Oh, okay. We're, we're going to go do this like in a place that's known for oil production. So that's kind of like, but yeah, I, I think you had said this to me previously before we had uh, done this, uh, interview that you think that's, um, that's, you know, that's a big step forward. Mm-hmm. It is a big step forward. And, you know, there are technologies that will lower emissions. And I think, you know, just focusing on how can we reduce our impact is is key. And there's so many ways to do that. Um, some people think it's the energy transition, uh, you know, transitioning to solar, wind, and uh, in some cases, nuclear. Uh, those, that requires a lot of infrastructure that we don't have today and requires a lot of raw materials. And so right now, what I'm reading about is the energy transition. I wanna get a better understanding of, of like, what is it gonna take for us to transition to renewable energy? It would be about our third energy transition. So at first it was going, you know, using wood for energy and burning wood, then it was burning coal. And now, um, you know, burning, using fossil fuels and, and all those things. And now we're, we're at the brink of this new energy transition, but like, you know, in our future world, does it make sense for us to go like 90% renewable and 10%, um, you know, fossil fuels, or like, does it make more sense for us to be like 60% renewable and 40%? And, like, and, and the answer is like, I don't know, but I also don't want to just listen to X, Y, and Z say like, we need to do this energy transition because I see all these minerals that are required and these are extracted from our earth and they, you know, damage um, natural habitats. And so it's this really like difficult, like push and pull of, you know, do we make what we have currently more efficient and we just try to reduce our impact in addition to all these things? And what is the mix? Like what is the optimal mix of like not damaging our planet, but being able to rely on a form of renewable energy? It's very like, I really enjoy reading about it and trying to formulate this opinion and I'm still in the process. And I like, I don't think there's ever going to be at a place where I'm like, yeah, this is the answer. But, um, you know, trying to get there and, and not and like being educated on the topic, I think, is really important as someone who works in climate. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of here's the thing, though, I have to ask you a question. I believe that it's it's going to be the most controversial question that I'm going to ask you of the day. It, weirdly so, because I think 20 years ago, it would not have been thought of as controversial at all but people like have changed you know the climate of climate <laughs> the you know the climate of this discussion has changed so much and, and that's um uh, 
you know, that there are a lot of loud voices out there that are saying <clears throat> uh, personal individual carbon reduction is pointless. And as long as uh, major corporations continue to pollute and remain poorly regulated. Uh, and obviously there's, there's some cynicism there or, you know, a little bit of maybe just like fatalism. I, but it's not about what I believe. I want to know uh, what are your views on that? What are your views on people saying like, why should I even recycle anything if there's, if the U.S. Navy is going to continue to, uh, you know, or not even, you know, just carnival cruise ships are going to be out dumping in the ocean. Um, sorry, I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> <laughs> what are your views on, uh, you know, the personal uh, carbon reduction? I mean, it's hard not to, you know, feel defeated when, you know, the at the very top, like the legislation is not necessarily there. Like I absolutely, I acknowledge that, but I also think that we live in a capitalist society. And as a result, consumers have so much power. You know, we can review products, we can give feedback to customer care and, and you know, Brands and, and companies understand this and they want to give consumers what consumers want. And, you know, you walk into a Sephora today, you know, you've got all these green check marks all over the place, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah. like certified clean beauty and, you know, um, fast fashion companies are coming out with like recycled polyester and, and different um, ways to show their consumers that they're being more sustainable. So I absolutely think individuals make such a big difference. And the more people speak up, like every time I go to a restaurant or I go to a hotel, I try to leave a review that has a component about sustainability. Like, you know, I really like that this hotel uses, you know, doesn't have just like single use toiletries. And, um, you know, I appreciate that, you know, when I leave the room, the electricity is turned off. Like I leave those things in reviews and where yeah. I see gaps, I leave that as well. And, you know, whether or not that actually makes a difference, like, I don't know, but I definitely, now when I go to hotels, like there's like a hotel that on the mirror was like, you know, X, Y, and Z to help reduce your carbon footprint, like on the mirror of a hotel. Most people don't know what carbon footprint is, but like, yeah. you know, there was the sticker. So I absolutely think individual action is important. And I hope that, you know, more people won't get bogged down by what's happening at, you know, the top levels. But, you know, what makes sense to you as an individual? Like, um, is it the single use coffee cups or can you use a reusable coffee cup? You know, what, what feels good for you? What feels right for you? If, if you don't want to make habit, like changes to your habits, like what else as an individual can you do? Can you write your local government or, or everything else? You know, like there's, there's more that an individual can do than just like go vegan or go plant-based. You can use your voice in many different ways. So maybe you do all of them, maybe you do some of them, but I think if everyone can do something, it's very impactful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, you made me think. Um, I need to be kind of careful how I word this because I this this podcast was 
briefly sponsored by a company um and i had a promo code and i would do like little ads on here didn't like that our relationship did not last very long but uh people this had literally said to me they're like hey man this this seems like a cool product it's kind of a health health product i think they're like i don't want to buy all these plastic bottles it, people really do care about that and uh and bothered to tell me that's you know they're like i'd love to support you and i'd love to use your promo code and keep you you know sponsored by this company but i don't want to buy all like a lot of people these days just don't want to buy a ton of plastic that they're just going to throw in the trash and i was like i totally respect that and also i mean yeah it's it's tough because yeah it's true when you look at what exxon is going to do what their what their emissions are going to be and what they're going to be doing to the planet in a year versus what you're going to be doing it seems absurd but what i think about it's kind of like when you brought up being in london and seeing all the trash in the summer Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, I drink a lot of water and I think about what a, what a hundred water bottles looks like. It looks like a shitload of water bottles. It looks like an entire trash bin full of water bottles. So I have a canteen it's made out of steel and I just refill it. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, to me, it just makes more sense than <laughs> also it makes more Common sense. sense it right? makes, it makes more sense than buying water too. That's, I mean, I know it's cheap, but still dumb to you know when <laughs> when i can literally just refill it out of the sink so i mean that's just my personal what I, all i'm trying to say is that i agree with you and i've <laughs> i've witnessed firsthand uh yeah the power of the consumer michelle i gotta tell you something we are getting dangerously close to the lightning round the lightning round Uh-oh. is a part of the podcast where i ask you a bunch of questions super fast don't take any time to, time to think and you know, uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the game for the part of the podcast. I did not write the lightning round. In fact, I almost never write them anymore. This was written by co-producer Colleen, and I have not even have not even looked at it yet. It's on this notebook right here, so I'm about to look at it for the very first time and tell oh, you gosh. they're they're always different. There's never there's no telling what you're gonna get. Sometimes they're very hard. Oh, this one's gonna be. I think you got. I think you lucked out. These are one of the easiest kinds. You got a mad lib. So I'll be saying things to you like uh, noun, verb, adjective, and we will build a little bit of a story. I have a feeling it's going to have something to do with uh, carbon emissions. <laughs> okay. The name of, oh, sorry, I didn't ask. Are you ready to play? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the name of this is Avatar, The Way of Water 2. This time it's personal. A mad lib story by co-producer Colleen and co-written by Michelle Lee. Um, let's get started. Masculine or gender neutral name? Robin. Damn, you nailed that. Uh, color? Yellow. Noun? Oh my goodness. Wait, I'm not even getting this. A noun that is masculine or gender neutral? Oh, no, no. You just, you just, uh, this is absolutely any noun that comes to mind. Does not matter. Oh my goodness. Um. It's a mad lib. (laughs) <laughs> i don't think i've done a mad lib before you've never done a mad lib i'm no. I, am, I am so pleased to be the first person to do a mad lib with you oh we're, crea- we're, we're creating a work of art just name yeah. it down you can say shoe uh car hat cat <laughs> cat okay adjective recycling oh wait is that an adjective <laughs> oh wait no that That's is a, a verb. verb uh um recyclable 
Yeah. Circular. Circular. Okay. Circular. Color. Blue. Body part plural. Mm, hands. And other body part plural can't be hands. Has to be something else. Eyes. Animal plural. Elephants. One of my favorites, if not my favorite. Noun plural. Puppies. Puppies. <laughs> this is gonna be a I can tell this is gonna be a great story. And noun plural. Another noun plural. Yeah. Babies. Okay. Number. Seven. Okay, this is the same name as before. That means that's Robin. Uh activity. Um composting. Fantastic. Okay. We are almost done. I promise we're getting so close to the end. <laughs> I think. Wait, so is this at the story? Like at the end, there's like a story of at everything. The end, at the end, oh. we're gonna find out what story you've written. Uh adverb. <clears throat> adverb. You're gonna have to help me here. Is quickly an adverb? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Will it go quickly? Yeah. <laughs> uh country. Canada. Canada. I love when we get um bad lips. Uh this is Robin again. Robin's going on an adventure. Ooh, weapon, plural. Weapon. Um nunchucks. One of my favorite although I've I've hurt myself with them before. <laughs> they're they're actually really hard to play with. Uh ooh. Time to shine. Cool catchphrase. What gets measured gets changed. You write that down. What gets measured gets changed. Weapon plural. Grenades. Grenades. <laughs> uh, noun plural. Butterflies. Yeah, this is Robin again. And plant plural. Uh, monsteras. What is that? Monsteras, monster like the word monster? It's like a type of plant. Okay. Monsteras. I've never heard of it. I'm going to Google it after this. And plural noun. Let's go with shoes. Shoes. Okay. I'm so nervous how this is going to turn out. Um, we have completed the Mad Lib, and let's find out what happens in Avatar, The Way of Water 2. This time it's personal. A Mad Lib story by co-producer co Colleen, co-written by Michelle Lee. Once upon a time, there was an avatar person named Robin who lived on a planet yellow cat. On this planet, the avatar people were circular and had blue hands and eyes like elephants. They were there because a while ago, humans came in search of the planet's natural resources of puppies and babies. And they did some science experiments that made the avatar people. After seven years of peace, one day, Robin's daily... Composting, sorry, my handwriting is really bad, was disturbed when the planet quickly was quickly invaded by armed forces from Canada. <laughs> Not one to turn down a fight, Robin sprung into action, grabbed his nunchucks, alerted the other Avatar people, and said, what gets measured gets changed. <laughs> With a little luck and a lot of grenades and butterflies and the power of friendship and belief in oneself, Robin was able to defeat the invaders and save his planet's monsteras and shoes until the end of time. The end. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you so that much, was... Michelle, for being a good sport. 
And I only have one question last for you. It's and but it's the most important question of the day. Where can people find you, follow you, uh, Clever Carbon, everything? Yeah. So Clever Carbon is on most of the social media channels, Instagram, LinkedIn, like LinkedIn is my main social media channel just for everyone. <laughs> and then Twitter. <laughs> and then I would love if everyone went and took our two minute carbon footprint quiz to find out what your carbon footprint is. Mine is 22.1 tons annually. Average in the US is 17 and a half. Average globally is 6.3. Um, you can find the quiz on our website, clevercarbon.io. Okay, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to do the quiz, and I'm going to see if I can beat you. I'm sure I can't. <laughs> actually, I don't know. I'm a, minim I'm a minimalist. I might not actually produce that much. Yeah. I try to ride I... a bike when I can to, to get to where I need to go. So we'll That's see. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, you heard it here first. Go check it out. Take the quiz. Um. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, just great talking to you. That was fun, Doug. Thank you for having me.